on this episode of Quantum Week, September 14th through 20th, 1986. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year and we talk about movies and music and headlines and we are continuing through uh, September 1986 with The Fly and Walk This Way. That's right. Uh, so let's get right into The Fly. I love The Fly. This is a really good movie. Really? Yeah. Like wow. Yeah. I, this, this is two surprises in a row for me. I thought, yeah. I thought you'd kill me on Top Gun. I thought you'd kill me on The Fly. This is much better than Top Gun. Yeah, this the is Fly way is better. much better than Top Gun. Way better. Uh, and anybody who doesn't think that, you should just... Like, I don't know. You should continue to listen to the podcast. I'm not going to say anything, no, but no, this, this is way better. Well said, Matt. Thank you. Uh, yes, this is a really good movie. Um, I like that. Like, I feel like I like this movie way more than I should, actually. Well, here's what it does best. Love, but not like, I mean. O- okay. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Matt's I'm off, sorry. I'm Matt's hyped off up. to a wonderful start here today. <laughs> uh, so uh, here's what the movie does best. It's, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie with such a f- efficient storytelling. Yeah. Right from the second it starts, you, you, you don't even hear the meat. You basically jump in the middle of a conversation. Yeah. Which is a great storytelling technique. So Cronenberg uh, co-wrote this um, with, let me find the guy's name. Cause I want to give him credit. Cause uh, it's, I'm sorry, Charles Edward Pogue. Yeah. And the two of them wrote it. Cronenberg of course directed this. Um, it sounds like Cronenberg did a lot of the rewrite though. He's, the initial yes. story was Pogue, but then um, Cronenberg really wanted to tighten up the dialogue. And the story itself. Yeah. It, 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 right. It was a very different, Cronenberg's vision was very different. I think a lot of this, in, the, a lot of efficiency goes back to Cronenberg here. So it starts with Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum just having a conversation. It doesn't know. It starts with an unbelievable intro shot where it's like sort of kaleidoscopy. And you're seeing the like the vision start to fo- come in focus, like sort of fly vision. Yes, and then it goes and into it goes the part. right. right yes. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. And, right to begin with, it's amazing. And it's basically just a story of three people, really two people, but you also have uh, Gina Davis's ex lover as well. has has a pretty major role. But other than those three characters, no one really, no one has even close to a major part. Nope. And even the sets are pretty, like it's basically his Jeff Goldblum's laboratory. Yep. And some like sometimes you're in Gene Davis's apartment a little bit, but but it's it's just it's a it's also 96 minutes. Yep. It's just it, but it tells a tragic and uh, a very exciting, suspenseful story with very little, very sparse, very Spartan, yeah. you know, cast. Even the screenplay, it never the screenplay never ventures too far from what's happening. No, you basically just kind of like live in this world, and everything's believable. It's it's really a masterwork. This by is Cronenberg. this is really an awesome film. Um, now, so do you think most of our listeners have seen this film? No, it came out in '86, so no. Yeah, okay. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of a um, a recap on it. So Seth Brundle's played by Jeff Gold Goldblum. He's a scientist. He built a, a tra- basically a teleportation device, and um, he tests it. It works on inanimate objects, but as soon as he puts animated objects in there, it like turns them into these grotesque creatures, but he finally dials it in, tests it on himself, doesn't realize that there's a fly also in the chamber. So when it transports him, uh, the computer synthesizes basically the, the genetic code of both him and the fly. He turns into a fly over time. Yeah, and it does it. It's, it's not done in a um, like annoyingly sci-fi way. What do I mean by that? So... Um, it it does it it's very simple what happens here and they don't feel the need to over explain it. Sometimes these science fiction movies fall on these tropes of 
over explaining things to the screenwriter. Or using a lot of like vernacular or jargon. Yeah, and that stuff of, to yeah. make the screenwriter look smarter yeah. than he really is. Right. Um, but in this case, you know, it's it's very simple. Goldblum builds his transport device and they explain it very easily too. Yeah. He gets motion sickness. Yep. So he it's really hard for him to be in cars or planes. He just so he traveling is a real problem for this guy. So he, he's a brilliant scientist, so he builds a motion uh, teleport device so he can teleport from one place to another. Yeah. With these pods. And when he does it, a fly jumps in with him. Doesn't see the fly, because a fly is small. And he doesn't realize what's happened until he's already well on his way to becoming a fly, which is, it sounds ridiculous, but it's... It's so well done. It does, it's like... This do, could be terrible. Very oh, easily. Very, like, B, B-grade horror film. Which is what it originally was. Yeah. The 1950, yeah. uh, 1958 version, uh, which I saw as a kid growing up. Yeah, I've um, seen Actually, I've, I've seen that more than I've seen this. Because you see, like, a fly body with a guy's head, right? Yeah. And a guy's end. body with a big fly head. I think that yes, happens too. Right. At the yeah. end is a little fly. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. kill me or something. Yeah, it's right, 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 right. Yeah, it's it's kind of cheesy. It's, it's very really cheesy. cheesy. Yeah, but the performances of Goldblum and Davis are exceptional. Awesome. This is this, this is his best role. Yeah, he is phenomenal. I love Jeff Goldblum in this. Me too. In this in this role, he's super earnest, kind, thoughtful, very odd, and like you know, but it's awkward, not, but, but, but believable though. Totally believable. He is warm, Jeff Goldblum, and this is what I meant when we were talking about yes. him in in, in uh, the big chill. The big chill before is why I thought that was the oddest character is because he's not believable as a creep. He's believable as an earnest, odd guy. But it's funny because I like, compare him to like Dr. Ian Malcolm from the Jurassic yeah. Park movies. So that's kind of a cool scientist, right? It is, yeah. This guy's not cool. He's not. He's awesome. He doesn't want to be cool. He, this is just, but he is incredibly, he just, I, I, I never once thought this was Jeff Goldblum acting and no. obviously it was because he even goes through a major shift. He becomes he a fly and becomes, you know, angry and, and there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, that rang true for me. We'll get into it in a bit, but yeah. Um, but he is so. I say so earnest. He's so the character is so grounded. Yeah, and so was the Gina Davis character. She was great too. You know, very er- believable. Very believable. Even their relationship was believable. How that totally sort of believable. like tra- they you know built. They did. They and were spending a lot of time together. She obviously realized what a good duty is, and, and he's brilliant. And he's brilliant. So like, and but even their actions like early on before he fully becomes a fly, and they're kind of just falling in love with each other is a very believable. They just were behaving like normal adults behave. That's exactly right. It was, even though, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird scientist guy and kind of a, a journalist and the journalist obviously is big. I, I kind of wish he was a different uh, profession because that's kind of played out, but I it's fine. Yeah. It is yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, but they don't even really play that hard into their journalism. It's more about them, these characters really and how they relate to each other in a difficult and bizarre situation. You needed something to get them to meet in the first place. And so that yes, journalistic right. thing or writing a book on thing is that that's as, that's as good enough as any, but you're right. It doesn't really, it's not like there was pressure to get this thing out. They, they were both exactly. excited to see this thing work. Yes. You know, if this was in a, a worse writer's hand, this becomes about her trying to get the expose. Yes, exactly. And, you know, that's the big battle was like, I, right, we need this to go to print. What do I do? <laughs> but it wasn't that at all. No. This was much more human. And this was about her genuinely loving this man who is literally disintegrating in front of her. I know. And um, that's and that's real. And that's what we talk about a lot in this show, uh, or I talk about a lot of the show, is um, char- let's talk more about the characters. Let's, let's, you know, let's dig deeper into what sure. they're going through. And this movie does it this is a this is an A minus movie for me. This, it's not going to crack my top five. It won't crack my top but, five, but, but it's not but far it, off. It's going to be. It's yeah, going to be awful. It's not far off. It's uh, I 
by the time you heard this, I already would have ranked all. I'm not even going to rank the movies. Yeah, um, we're taping this early. Yeah, yeah, we're taping this before Matt does the Kirk Minahan show for the week. Right. So by the time you hear this, you already know what what <laughs> you, has happened. Right. Uh, but um, what's happened? I want to know what's happened. Matt was fired on Wednesday. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but I'm gonna during that week I'm gonna rank all the movies because I have nothing else to do because we're not yeah. taping the show. So uh, but this would be in my top. 15, I imagine. This oh, is, at no, this is, this, so this is episode 61. This is definitely top 10 for me. It might be. This, this, we had a lot of good movies. This we is, have. This is a really, this is, this is, I haven't seen this movies in over 30 years. I saw, me neither. Because, and actually that, that's, that's part of it. It's not an, it's not necessarily an easy watch because it's horrifying too. It, it's not an easy watch, I guess. No, it's not. So, and that's, that's where I get to where I love, like I was enthralled with it. I like, I really loved watching it and it holds up so well too. It, it really still does, looks because great. Because it's, so, it's so Spartan. Yes. They don't have a lot of extra shit. So yeah. You, this could, like those pods are I so actually, creepy. I didn't even, except for some of the computer stuff. Yeah, that's you, a little, that's dated. But that's fine. I mean, it, that's, that's what, what happens. Or the technology. cars or something. I mean, that's but what happens. The cars were very, they never mentioned the brand. This is all shot, by the way, in Toronto. Cronenberg uh, uh, is a Canadian director. I was wondering, I was going to ask you, this movie feels European. Yes. So Cronenberg, uh, if you've ever seen Crash, not the one that won the Oscar, but the one before that, that was all shot in Canada. It, yeah. He uses, it's a very bizarre movie about people who get turned on by car crashes. Yeah. It doesn't quite work. Um, but it's interesting. It's weird. And it's Cronenberg. Um, but Cronenberg does like to shoot in, He's from Canada, which makes yeah. sense. And for something like this, it did give kind of this like creepy... Um, because it wasn't your, unsettling vibe. You would feel, I think, more at home if it were New York, or even like Vancouver. So a lot yeah. of directors will yeah. shoot in Vancouver because it's cheaper to shoot there than New York sometimes for yeah. the tax breaks. But Cronenberg, I think he shot this in Toronto, which you don't typically see a ton of. But he never, you never see Toronto like Lance. Like it could be anywhere. No, yeah, this you, could be in Cleveland. Like, you don't see downtown by the waterfront. Right. I know Toronto pretty well. You don't see that waterfront shot like where the you right know, all the, the stereotypical. Yeah. You try to make this any town USA, and, yeah. and it works. It totally works. And actually, and that that's dis, that was disjointing to me too. That's part. So the beautiful part of it is you're seeing this like love relationship build, which is beautiful, but you also have this impending doom and horror underneath it all. Yes. And I think not knowing where that city was or being able to place it added to that that unsettlingness. You know. Um, and then it's all transposed to the, or juxtaposed rather, to the uh, warmth of the Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum yeah, characters. That's right. So you have these two characters, and it makes you care for them more because now you have these people you do care about in this unsettled world, even as opposed, as well as something unsettling happening to them. You know, this sort of reminds me of like um, when I was uh, in college, I was definitely more, way more of a night owl. So I was up into you know four in the morning, and then Sounds I would sit until ten. Right, this is like your this life is what now. I do, yeah. I, but I, uh, that's that. You, Not quite four, but I usually, I'll go to bed around two every night. I was yeah. So I, it was sometimes we'd see sun up and go to bed. Yeah. But but I had like a budding relationship during this time in in uh, college that I remember pretty fondly, and that's kind of what it felt like to me too. It was like love at dusk. Is is was was how it felt, and that's this movie reminded me of that too. It was like sort of like night, kind of nighttime, dusky. Like I don't know, it, it gave me that vibe. Well, a lot of stuff what? was shot at night. You know, there was a lot of it. The, the, but even the just like the feel of it too. It's not yeah. like the like the early sun springtime love budding feeling, right? You'll, which you'll get a lot in you know in a romantic comedy yeah. or that type of thing. This was like a darker thing. I don't know. It it made me feel a certain way. It brought me back. It made me feel a lot too. I mean, so the whole movie, a lot of it reminded me of like with my dad. Some stuff Did my it really? dad. Well, you have this, you have this healthy guy yeah. that's uh, disintegrating kind of in front of you and they become angry about it. You know, my dad got angry during um, 
you know, a lot of the moments when he was realized he's dying, he's sure. very angry. And then he's, you know, slowly disintegrating. And Cronenberg says, is like, no, this, that's what the point of this movie was, was to show illness, particularly cancer. But when this came out was the height of AIDS. That's true. And I guess a lot of people at the time, um, compared this to, um, and a lot of people use this as kind of a corollary to AIDS. And Cronenberg said, that's absolutely perfect. Yeah. Because this is supposed to be about disease and aging. And how do we deal with that? You know, um, obviously at a much heightened level here, but you know, seeing someone you care about, you kind of fall apart. And then Jeff Goldblum is so good as playing someone. And a lot of times he's caked in this at the time. I know it was good makeup. Now it's a little not, sometimes the makeup holds up and the special effects. So it's hard to do. It doesn't. Yeah. But I think it looks pretty good. Actually. At the end of the day, it's always his voice. And that was a Cronenberg yeah. decision too. Yeah. Cronenberg wanted Goldblum to talk way longer than probably his character would have normally been. Yeah. If he was really coming a fly, would have been able to. Right. But he, cause his, his voice was so warm and, um, and also how, and of course they use Jeff Goldblum's voice in those Apple commercials. Jeff Goldblum has a really unique, so, warm yeah, voice. He does. And, um, so to have him talk, even under all these prosthetics, you still felt like he's a human being. And that's true with my dad. Like when my dad's dying of cancer, he still sounds like my dad. Right. Um, and that makes it even more chilling. Some of the stuff that comes out of their mouth when they are sick and angry, it's like, Oh, and like when uh, Jeff Goldblum was say, you're such a fucking drag. Yeah. It's jarring. Cause it's it like, is jarring. Cause this you guy are not used to it. From him. Swear no. At her, no, 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 no. Like he loved her. When he talks, he's almost on the verge of like a little bit of a laugh or a giggle. Like that's the, in general, like that's yeah. his voice. He's always yeah. got kind of a smile a in smirk. his voice. Yeah. And that, you know, to hear him go like angry yeah. is fucked up. It, yeah, it hits you. It yeah. is. And like, you know, we're pretty desensitized to, you know, the, I mean, we say far fouler things in this of show. Of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you turn so, like Jeff Goldblum. It did. Yeah. But Goldblum's voice is, is great. Uh, yeah. and that's really what, uh, let's his, talk about, let's t- talk about Cronenberg. Oh, wait, wait, before his twitches were so cool too. Yeah. Like, as he's starting to, starting to change, like you see him, you see him like make those insecty type of move. It was, it was so cool. But he did such a great job. too much. No. That's the I, efficiency of this. It was, he could have played this like so annoying. It could have been so ridiculous, but always felt like really honest reactions. I thought even so. in this ridiculous thing where this man, I mean, I'm a fly. It's stupid. It's, it could be, it's very ridiculous. The whole idea is like, it's kind of stupid. Yeah. But, um, but to see it happen and the way he plays it so realistically and so grounded and Gina, and you know, what a, what a cast too. You got Gina Davis who the next year would win an Oscar right. or two years later win an Oscar for accident. Uh, and then you have Jeff Goldblum who's had this like, you know, long, bizarre career where he's either in like these box office bombs or these major hits like Jurassic Park Independence Day, yeah. but he never really leaves our, our world. He always, no, he's always, he's always kind of there, yeah. which is a tribute probably to him being, I'm guessing he's really easy to work with. Probably. And his talent. Yeah. He's got great talent. Um, how, so speaking, you're yes. going to get into Cronenberg. Spe- how, like what's the difficulty scale of executing this movie though? Like to make this movie not be dumb. So do you rate it higher because of how hard it is to make this movie like, this and mo- you're right. It's a dumb, it's a this, kind of a dumb premise. So what's what this movie is incredibly hard to make. And the yeah. proof is in the pudding because look at how many other movies are similar to this that mm. don't work. How often does a horror science fiction movie work? Science fiction body horror film is how they classify it. Like how many <laughs> of those horror. work? Like not a lot. You know, not many. I mean, even like those stupid movies where, uh, you know, Kirk Cameron switches places with Jeff Goldblum, uh, <laughs> Judge Reinhold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, you yeah. know, like uh, George Burns, whatever, 18 again. Those movies, yeah. they're all stupid. And those yeah. are all like body switching kind of things. I know this is like a man becomes a fly. But, um, you know, but those also deal with aging and the problems. So those movies are all played for laughs or... They are. Know, they're silly films. They're silly This things. is not a silly film. This is not, there's nothing silly about this. No. And, you know, having a movie with such a ridiculous premise be so grounded is 
a real tightrope act. You have to, I kind of have to rate it higher because of that. I mean, I just, I, yeah, I mean, you, you respect it more. I don't know if you yeah. rate it higher, but I, I respect it more because of it, I guess. I, I really, I give this, Cronenberg did a mass, this is a masterwork. In, and I really, I can't go back, I can't say enough, the efficiency in the storytelling. Yeah. It's really hard to do that. Uh, this was edited brilliantly. True. Um, the screenplay is crisp. You're oh, never, yeah. You're never once bored. Never bored. But you're never stuck with so much uh, expository stuff either. They don't, like, really, it's, a lot of the stuff you just simply see. Yeah. It's really, it, this is a real craft work in uh, directing and um, and storytelling. This it, is this is a really well done movie. Is, he said it's the same team. He only made this movie because he could bring his same team. So it's the same like cinematographer, editor, all those people came with him from from films that he, he did in the past. Well, this, well, this but is, it seemed like this one came together a lot better than his earlier films. I know you really like The Dead Zone, which is I think is the one right before this that you did that in like 83. Yes, so I love The Dead Zone. I know you do. And it's, that is a good, I haven't seen it forever. I remember liking it at the time. I love walking anyway, so it just, you know. De- Dead good Zone's one. fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I think this one comes together better so than anything else. you have seen else. it? No, I have seen it, but it's just been so long. Okay. Probably been 30 years since I've seen that one. I remember really liking it at the time. Uh, so the other movie he did that I really, well, you, we both love A History of Violence. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, which so later too, on, later another on. crisp, awesome film. Yeah. Which is really well, which is uh, a master. That's work 20 as years well. after that. This is two, that's 2006 or something. Cronenberg's uh, had a very odd career. Um, and I, honestly, to be honest with you, I haven't seen, um, to be honest, to I've be seen honest Scanners. You, I haven't seen enough of his movies. I've seen Scanners, didn't love it. Nah. But I haven't oh, seen Video it a long time. I saw. I've seen a lot too. I didn't love Video it. Video Drum was weird. Um, James so Woods, I think. Then you have, uh, yeah, I believe you're right. And yeah. then you have The Dead Zone. Yeah, which, which I think is great. And then three years later, he does The Fly. Yeah. Which is... Okay, so back to back. That's pretty fucking that's good. That's pretty good. And then right. he has a movie called Dead Ringers, which a lot of people love. I haven't seen it. I don't know. I think I need to watch this. I, have you seen it? No, I, I, maybe I have, but I can't. I don't recall. Um, and then he kind of loses his way a little bit. He, he does movies pretty sparingly. A big reason he, he struggles is because he has trouble getting financing for his films. Well, but not only that, everything he touches loses money besides this film, basically. Everything, everything loses. Yeah, his stuff is. I guess his stuff is really it's hard too to, hard? to yeah. market. Yeah, well, they're this really, is his most successful film. His m- movies are very dark. They are, um, and they are. I guess tough watches. I guess actually, yeah, because the Dead Zone doesn't end well. I mean, that's a dark ending. This is way darker, but, uh, yeah. but that's dark too. Yes, they're not um, easy. They're, Crash is not an easy watch. I mean, I you watch people get in the car accidents on purpose. Yeah, to f- then fuck. It's very. Um, <laughs> maybe I will watch history that. of violence is so again. Uh, it doesn't, it's not like a, it's unsettling. The end is unsettling. Yes. Uh, the, and you know, he also did a movie Eastern promise, which I haven't seen. I have seen it. And I remember liking that. Cause I think he did that right after right after him. Yeah. And Vigo Mortensen and again, Vigo Moore, and v, again, Vigo does a great it job. It sounds in that like film. Cronenberg's basically retired because he can't get financing for his movies. I also think he's obviously older too. He's in his seventies, but, um, but that's kind of a shame. Um, but I guess, I guess understandable. I mean, this I'm shocked. I'm kind of shocked. This movie was a hit. Yeah. I, you know, Maybe I because it's the just premise so, is so easy it's so, to, yes, it's, and it's so different than anything else that was happening. Mean, look what just, it's up against top gun and like, but we, it's up against a lot of movement. Remember we went through like, I, I know, but not to, like this, right? Though. Back to school. Right. And, uh, a, lot lighter, day off. a lot of lighter yeah. films. Like this is nowhere. This is nothing like that. So no. I guess if you're like a teenager, if I were a teenager at that time and this, I saw this come out, I'd be like, whoa. Or even if you were cool. adult at that time, yeah. you'd be like, oh, I'd rather go see that than Ferris Bueller's yeah, Day Off. If you're a right. teenager, you're going to go see Ferris. You're not going to... I, I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I think it's a great fan. I know you're not a huge fan. I, yeah, I think it's great. I'm just sick of it. But if that came out now, I, there's no chance I would have gone and seen that movie at a high school boy right, that's in, true. in the movie. Yeah. Like, I'm 40. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Maybe if I saw it, maybe enough people talked about it and I saw it on uh, cable, I'd watch. But I'm not going to go to sure. a theater. I'd be embarrassed to go to the internet. But something like this, I'm like, oh, I'll go check out 
Jeff Goldblum and um, Gina Davis. Maybe I don't know Gina Davis that well, but she had just done Tootsie. Yeah. You know, look at her career. And she's had a, uh, I know we talked about a little bit with her, her own. She's but, had a um, great career too. Yeah. She did. Because then you have Thelma and Louise as well. Right. I mean, yeah, just a few years. I think maybe that's 89 or 90 or something. So just a few years after she won the I Academy Award. Did she get nominated for that? I think she might have. I think, I think she did. Her and Sarandon both did, didn't I they? I think they both did. Yeah. It was odd to me that The Fly did not get any any look by by the academies. It did like, for special effects. That was it. it. For well, which makes make that makes sense. But like, it's tough for these movies dude, to get. No. Not, I, not I only, agree. The cinematography is amazing. Not only that though, the, uh, the, the score is off the, the charts. Howard good. Shore. It's a very good score. It is amazing. Um, first, this is uh, Madam uh, Madam Butterfly is what it starts with, but then it goes into into um, Howard. Oh, what's his name? Um, uh, Howard Shore score. Shore, yeah. it, this, this is this is amazing score work. It's great. It's like it's so kind of epic and um, and hopeful in the beginning, and it just gets creepier and darker. He he does it. The score is amazing. It's really good score. Yeah, uh, and the screenplay should have been nominated. The screenplay, screenplay should have been fantastic. nominated. Uh, um, I was I was disappointed. But look at Gene Davis's career. So you yeah, have, she's in Tootsie. Yeah, which is a very good movie. Yeah. Then she does Fletch, which is very funny. I love Fletch. Uh, then she does Transylvania 6, 5,000, which oh, doesn't yeah, I work. I forgot about that. Uh, is that like with Judd Reinhold? Oh, is, is Goldblum and, and in that too? And Jr. And, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. And then uh, she does The Fly 80, uh, in 86. Yep. And then she does uh, 88. She does Beetlejuice, Earth Beetlejuice Girls, Crazy, and then The Don't Accidental Tourist. Oh, yeah. uh, and then she does Quick Change, which is the only movie Bill Murray ever directed. Uh, it's about a, a, a clown that robs a bank. Yeah, that's right. It, it's, it doesn't 100% work. I'm down I mean, on Bill Murray right now. Okay. And then she does <laughs> Thelma and Louise. Uh, yeah, and then and then it kind of falls apart a little bit. She says that um, she eventually does a movie called Cutthroat Island, which is a, a pirate movie directed by her then husband, I believe, Reddy Harlan. I think we mentioned that before yeah, too. This is a pirate. I don't tanks. think I've seen it. Yeah, um, uh, but that was really. And then after that, she said the parts just dried up. She said there weren't uh, a lot of parts for. Um, which is like forty at that time. Yeah, for yeah. women that were forty plus. Um, but she's. I think it helps too with this movie is that her and Jeff Goldblum um, were dating at the time. Oh, that's right. They were married for a few years yeah. too. I forgot about that. Yeah, you could see there. They, uh, there's obvious they're obviously chemistry. in love. Like, is yeah. it, I, and they, like, they play it so, it's so, like, I totally buy it. Um, and I think a lot of it's because in real life, they, they, were, they were dating. They, were, they might even been, you know, I think they were still dating. They were almost engaged at this point. Yeah. The other brilliant thing is like, that, I, that is amazing that Cronenberg did is the villain becomes the hero and the hero becomes the villain. I know that's nuts to me. Yes. Like your sympathies change. They do. So you end up rooting for in like an hour and a half. Yes. <laughs> that's hard to do. There, I, I'm not going to lie though. There was a part of me throughout the entire movie though. Where I'm rooting for Jeff Goldblum. Not after he, not after he's like, he's I'm dragging, going primal. At the end, he's dragging Gina yeah. Davis, pregnant Gina Even Davis with like the, the, that prostitute chick too, he's like forcing her to try yeah, to do it. Yeah, no, I was like, e. but I, but even then though, like I just, I just, I just felt bad for this guy. I just wanted this guy to I win because he was a good person. And he he's was like, a good person. Fuck, like this just sucks. So yeah, I know he's definitely was doing things I don't agree with, but there were times where we're just like, oh man, I just, I just want things to work out. I know they're not I going know. to, but uh, I just want things to work out for, for this guy. Oh, and then he, puts the shotgun on his own head. Oh, oh I know the bug. Oh, that's so Which rough. is like such a ridiculous. They see a fly putting a gun to his own head and you're like, this shouldn't work, but this oh, works. Oh God, it's so horrifying and sad. It's so sad. It's so sad. Yeah. There's a great scene where <sighs> it sh- shows you how talented Jeff Goldblum is. He's in the bathroom by himself and his fingernails are falling off. And he's like standing in a tub and he's like, am I dying? Is this what happens when you die? Right. And it's like, man, I bet anyone who's ever been sick has, has uttered those words probably by themselves in the bathroom 
and things are just kind of disintegrating on them. And you think about anyone who has cancer, anyone sure. who's, who's had AIDS at this time, or anyone that's had a, a, a fatal disease, and they probably have asked themselves that. Like, you know, am I dying? This is what happens when you die as something horrible happens to them. And, um, and it was just like, wow, I was like, that was a really well done scene. It was shot brilliantly. It wasn't too much camera work. No. There was efficiency. There weren't too many words. It was efficiency in words. The, um, the, uh, it's just his fingernail. Like, it, you know, it's not like a wild, a stunt or wild special effect. Um, there are some in this movie for sure. But it, but it was just like, I could relate. We, you know, I can un- not really, but I can understand yeah, that of course. feeling something like that. Well, it, it was really powerful. It was re- it's just a really good movie. That's probably the moment where he real like you see him realize like this, there's no, t- this isn't just like some sort of anomaly. There's no taking Things back. Really like something's up. really fucked up. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he does it great. He does it brilliantly. Yeah. I don't, uh, I mean, you should, if you haven't seen this, but you gotta, you have to see this film. Well, yeah, I hope we haven't given it. I hope we watched already. That's why I always, I'm always like, oh man, like, <laughs> well, whatever. Uh, but yeah, but if you haven't seen it, I guess and you listen to this, go see it anyways. It's, it's actually, it's, it's a really well done movie. This, this was, um, out of movies I either haven't seen in a very long time or movies that more, I hadn't already kind of pigeonholed as favorites. This is probably my, 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 my top one. Like presumed innocent was one I had never seen before with Harrison Ford. That's right. That was really good. I really enjoyed it. Was that. Really this good. is better. Oh yeah, this is way better. Yeah, um, I think so. But yeah. this, this was fun. It was fun to see this. I hadn't seen this movie since I was eight years old. I, don't, I think so. It was really fun to go back and watch this and have a completely HBO, different experience. Yeah. HBO mainstay. I think is probably how I saw it. Yeah, I saw yeah. HBO when I was eight, and I was like, oh, this is good, whatever. But I, I really didn't remember a ton of it, and I just like, well, you know, I was eight. I didn't really, you know. But then to watch it now as an adult, it was really powerful. Great job by Cronenberg. I got to see more Cronenberg films. That's on me. And um, a great Goldblum and Gene David. I have even more respect for. Oh yeah, I already, did. I already had time for them. Yeah. Um, I really, I'm really glad we did this because I had wanted to see. Uh, I got, I kind of fought for a Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Stand by Me. Remember we talked uh, about it? Yeah. Or yeah, even that's back right. To school. Yeah, that's right. But you said you wanted uh, just, to do the it's fly. Just, it's so different than I knew it would be. So different than. And like a so dramatically different than Top Gun. I kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, here's you know, Matt doing his fucking sci-fi, nerd. doing his sci-fi nerdy shit yeah, again. I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm loving his technology. I'm like, fine, we'll do do the fly. But uh, great, great movie. Yeah, real great one. Shall we? Um, shall we move on to uh, Run DMC and yep. walk this way? Let's do it. This is a great episode because there's two awesome things that that are occurring in it. Uh, I love this song. This song's great. This is like. Such a sea change in music that was like, I think, I, I remember feeling the difference. This song, so Run DMC, this is Walk This Way. This is the Run DMC cover of Aerosmith's Walk This Way. With Aerosmith there as well. With Aerosmith there as well. So uh, Walk This Way, the original, came, uh, was on, oh, what was it, something in the attic? Uh, was on... Oh, uh, 1975s. I can't remember. I can't remember either. Whatever. Aerosmith. So te- this is 10 years later, basically. Yes. Aerosmith at this point is in a real downward spiral. Their last album, can't remember what it's called, but like only sold 500,000 records. Steven Tyler's having major drug issues. Yes. The, a lot of the band is. Um, they're like out of the zeitgeist. They're, they're seeing like the old guys, like their parents' music at this point. They've lost their rock and roll edge completely. and not selling records. They were completely, they were, yeah, you said they were out of the zeitgeist. They just weren't even thought about anymore. And after this, they have gold record after platinum record after platinum record. They have a 10 year run. They have a 10 year run. This totally like reinvigorated their career. This was a huge boost for them while at the same time putting rap, not, not just, not just one DMC, but rap into mainstream like music and mainstream listeners ears. This is the first, this is the first, um, 
rap song to crack the top 10 on Billboard. So it, it hit number four. The first song ever. Their, uh, their album, uh, Raising Hell, hit number three on the Hot 200. Wow. So that's the yearly, the, um, the yearly chart. And, uh, and it's the first to... It's the year, so... The, no, sorry, no, the Hot 200. No, I'm not, it's not the yearly. Sorry, yeah. Just the uh, number three on the Hot 200. Right. That's it. Um, the first album, rap album, to go gold. The first rap album to go platinum. They're the first rap song an artist to be on MTV with this song. This is like groundbreaking after groundbreaking after groundbreaking. Even in the video, it really, the video. It literally is breaking the wall down between right. rock and rap. And it's like, it's, it's this, and not only that, on top of all those things, this song is awesome. It's awesome. It's so well mixed and it's, it's, it's so good. Yeah. I'm going to play some parts. Everybody knows it. I'm going to play some parts of it because there's a few things that I want to point yeah, out. Some of our younger ghosts might not know it as well. Oh, you got to leave it, but a lot, yeah. some people might not. The cool thing about it is the original song is so um, friendly to rap. Because if you think about like Steven Tyler singing it, he's even kind of, it's almost like a talking, it's a melody, but he's sort of talk singing. He is. And when he originally, uh, when he wrote it, when the band wrote it, he was listening to the meters and James Brown. So that's, he wanted, he was like, I want a funk beat. I want to do something over a funk beat. So like this awesome blues riff that Joe Perry does. This riff is amazing. Great riff. Um, over this funk beat. That's what they were trying to do. And that completely translates into rap. Um, there are so many cool things. I want to talk about a little bit of Run DMC too, but um, let's just go out. So there's a couple like cool differences. So, oh, for, okay. This is what I, so when they record, so when Run DMC, this, here's a story. Rick Rubin from Def Jam Records. Right. He's a partner of, uh, of Russell Simmons. He's a 21 year old kid. And he, you know, he comes from a rock background, but he loves rap. You know, he lives in New York, so he's hearing all this rap sound happening. That's why he starts Def Jam while he's still at NYU film school. But he's playing all all older music. He, he loves Aerosmith from back in the day. And um, Run DMC, they were like riffing off the first four bars of uh, Walk This Way for years. Like since they were teenagers, they like they would play the first couple, um, the first intro. Here's Here's what they would play. This is the Aerosmith intro. And they would just rap over that. They would just loop that and rap over that. So they were already used to it. So, um, so, so Rick Rubin calls up the manager of Aerosmith and says, we want to, we want to use, we want to do something different. We want to bring Steven Tyler and Joe Perry over here to New York. I don't know where I think they were in L at the time. We want to bring them here. We want to re-record this song with rap. And uh, I think the guy's name is Jim Collins. The, uh, the, the manager of uh, Aerosmith goes, what's rap? Well, he didn't even know what it was. Sure. So, so Ruben has to like explain the whole thing to him, but convinces him and says, listen, we're going to do, we're going to get into the studio for one day and we're going to rip this thing out. And he's like, okay. Um, now, so they, the whole thing's like re-recorded. The, the, the guitar track and the vocal track that Steven Tyler does is unique to, to, the song. to 1986 now, right, right, not yeah, the 1975 right, right, version. Right. And so you can hear some of these differences. Like, first of all, um, they do take, this is such a cool, this is like why, uh, I think Jam Master J is the, uh, is the, the DJ for yep. uh, Run DMC. That's his right And he's the one that's dead. Is he dead? Yeah. He fuck. got shot in a record studio oh, in 2002. Fuck, fuck, fuck. And um, they just found his murderer. They just finally charged his murderer. Did like, they really? Yeah. Like, like a couple weeks ago. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
This guy was brilliant. He like, he was so cutting Doug edge. Doug gone bad. Oh, fuck. Listen to the difference here. So I just played you the, the beginning of the Aerosmith version. You'll hear the verb. That big breath over the whole thing. Jay takes it and he puts a noise gate on it. Hear it close? Yeah. That's what's called a noise gate. What ends up happening is it cuts off the sound at a certain decibel level. So you so it like it makes it really jagged and sharp. So he does that one little change to that to that mix. You've got um, here are the differences in the guitar solo. Here's the Aerosmith version. I'm so familiar with the solo you hear all the time, right? But in the DMC version, Joe Perry does. And then you've got all the Steve Tyler fucking vocals. I love this exchange. Hear him? So great. It's, it's so, so awesome good. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so so great. It works so well together, even though it has no business working well together. Um, but it just does. It it's just, so it's, good. It's perfect. And this has a lot to do with the brilliance of Run DMC. They are really the first to innovate that pass off um, like vocal style. Rap before Run DMC was like party music of like people dressed up like, like sort of sci-fi disco people and kind of singing like sort of you think about, you know, curse blow or something. Right. Just think about, you know, partying and whatever. Yes. They're, they innovated this style of, uh, where is it? Here's, here's a great example of like the passing the exchange there. Oh, so great. Kills me. So they came at this album. Their best album came out in 86. Yep. So another album came out in 86 from Def Jam. That's Beastie Boys license though. And this is like, that's the thing. It's, this is Beasties. Or is Beasties them? You know, so you have that kind of thing. But No, that's or, what I mean. No, or, Beasties came from Run DMC. Run DMC, Peter Piper is from 1983, I think. Right. That's, right. Uh, th- th- they influence, Beasties heard them and were like, what the fuck? Right. And wanted to do that. And that's their style. You hear the Beasties yes. like pass back and forth, the, you know, vocals all through their music. That's Run D- That's because of Run DMC. Run DMC, right. Yeah. So, and then Def Jam, you know, it doesn't hurt that they're on the same album. No. Uh, they're on the same, um, I'm sorry, you're in the same studio as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, so I think a lot of, so I'm, License Still is the album that I've listened to the most in my entire life. Like, what's the yeah. album you've heard the most yep. in your life? It's definitely that. I've listened yeah. to it since I was six. I'm obsessed it's with it. It's a good one, yeah. I think it's, it's brilliantly funny. I think it's, it's great. I never get tired of it. It's so good. Um, but, I do also really love Run DMC and um, especially this album. I keep this album is so good. This is, is Raising Hell. Raising Hell. Like, I, it's hate got that, a, I hate that name. I keep blocking it up. But even the <laughs> album that came after that, the one that has Mary Mary on it, which is a yeah. great song. Um, I can't remember the name of that one. But this one has Tricky. Yes. Um, which is the My Sharona. Um, uh, they took yep. My Sharona off that. Tricky, My Adidas, Peter Piper, Walk This Way, which are four hits. Uh, this album is great. I'm thinking of, I'm going to get the album because it's one that came out in 88, Tougher Than Leather. So that, oh, came, yeah, yeah, that yeah. came out when I was in, I was eight. I'm in New York. Like, so this, you know, obviously Raising Hell comes out and you see the videos for that all the time. And, but then uh, Tougher Than Leather, I, I think it's pretty good too. Then they kind of lose, they kind of lose do. it. Yeah. They've got like a very early, like 1981 to 82 to 19, almost 1990. And then yeah. that's kind of their run. 
rap changes then though. It does because, because you got all the white influence. So now you got right. like, you got vanilla ice in, you got, you've got the sort of the, the pussification of rap that snow. happens in popular we music. About snow snow, before. Right? Uh, the other thing, so the Beasties, why did the Beasties last? Well, they were able, they were able to change. They transcended. Yeah, yeah, they, you know, they, really they, they do Paul's Boutique, which is kind of a, a mix of yep. Dust Brothers and this kind of style. Yep. And then by the time, you know, uh, Hello Nasty comes out or any of those other albums, um, then they have a completely different sound. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And their run DMC just couldn't. No. Couldn't no. shift. No, no, no. And uh, no, because they, yeah, the Beasties like really expanded their, their um, harmonic palette. Like just using more samples or different different music styles that they sampled. Where Run DMC was basically like they would take rock elements and funk elements and kind of put them together with badass trade off vocals, and that so, was kind of their thing. And same thing, sort of like Public Enemy was just a little bit after this. Yes, it's kind of their same thing, and they did a lot, a little bit more like metal and rock stuff. You think of like Bring the Noise and things like that. So they went a little bit, even a little bit further to that heavy, but. Uh, but they had that same run, maybe a little bit later to mid '90s run, like kind of a ten year span, and they didn't really augment from there. And they were badass during that time right. too. Both had kind of that ten year run. But you're right, Beasties were like a thirty year run. But this album, like this Raising Hell album, is so much. Throw this in your car and just drive around. It's and awesome. It, it's so much fun. It's really like, fun. How are you not having fun listening? And you know, like I said, you mentioned Peter Piper, which is on the '86 album. You mentioned, uh, you know, it's tricky. Yeah, uh, I don't know if we even talked about that. That one's fantastic. Yep, my Adidas is a fun My song. Adidas. Walk this way. This is the yep. first four songs off the album. Right on the row. I could listen I mean, to I could listen to the, this album probably every day of my life and I would be fine. Like I would not be sick of this album. That's it's how so I feel fun. about License Dale. Yeah. You know, it's the same, but it's the same. It's, it's the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Um I don't love their second album as much, King of Rock. Um It's not bad. There's a few things on it. I um I was listening to it earlier today. There's a few things on it that are pretty good. I really love this raising hell sound. Um and then the tougher than leather. It's I think probably has some more nostalgia than it probably should for me. Um, but Raising Hell is by far their best album. It's probably the only time we'll talk about Run DMC. I'm guessing on the show. No, I think we'll probably get back. Really? Uh, this is their biggest. This is their biggest hit. But I was thinking we would get because I didn't. There's some more stuff we could talk about, but I sort of wanted to wait because I figured we would. We would I hope them, we can talk about it. If we something. have any issues talking to them again, I'd love to. But. Yeah, because um, this song is really. Is, is this going to crack your top five? I think it's going to crack my top. five. I think so. Yeah, I got to look again, but I think so. This might be like my number like two or three. Yeah, this is a great one. This is one of this is one of the best we've done. I think. Yeah, definitely. Do you like this version? I like this version better. Or the Aerosmith alone version. I love the Aerosmith version because I think his, Steven Tyler is an amazing, uh, Aerosmith is kind of an underrated band. They are really good. I know they were popular, but they're really good. I think they're kind of Really technical. No, I, you should. The lyrics are dumb, dude. Oh yeah. I mean, that's kind of normal with rock, with rock people. They don't do it for me. I, I don't know if it's just kind of overplayed. Could be. Like, I yeah, listened listen to a lot of Aerosmith in the 90s. Like, oh. their older stuff and their newer stuff. I was listening to a lot of it. And all the rock stations in New Hampshire are going to play Aerosmith like, right. ad nauseum. Of course. So, of course, you got and sick Boston of it. too. So, yeah, like, yeah. you can't, you know, right. you kind of can't escape it. So, no, um, you can't. But he's an amazing vocalist. And Joe Perry's a great guitar player. They are. They are. But do you like, but do so you like I this? like the Run DMC version Me too. better. Yeah, because I love, yeah, I love what it became. And the video, we talk about it quickly, but so the vi- in the v- video is fantastic. And in the video, they literally break down the wall. Yeah, like it's, it's yeah. So you got Aerosmith practicing on one side of a wall. They're like they're rehearsing, and Run DMC's frustrated because they're listening to this noise come through their so fucking loud. wall. This rock is so they're loud. Piss- oh man, like what is this or whatever? Right. They just get all angry at it. But then, yeah, it, I, I, there's some sort of confrontation that happens, and Steve T- Steven Tyler like drives his mic stand through the wall, right? And they bust through and then do a concert together. Yeah, so good. It's so good. <laughs> uh, 
uh, one thing I like about the video version is it's a minute shorter than the actual because the last minute of this song is completely it's useless. sort of vamps for no reason. It's it's like what are we doing here, guys? It's a five minute song, and the last minute could easily be cut out. And yeah, I guess, you don't and need it, it was in the video, so they, maybe they kind of realize that later on, or I don't know what happened there. But I don't know either. The, the song itself is one reason it won't be my number one. Is just it's just too long. It's just that last minute is pointless. Yeah, you don't need it. I wonder if they were banking on like dance halls or something to yeah, I don't still know. groove to it or something or maybe they were giving themselves time to maybe they could freestyle over at concert but you don't you don't I don't understand what the point sure. yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure either. it's a mild complaint but uh, it's my one complaint about this song yeah it's a great one yes listen to it and love it um <laughs> what a loser <laughs> what the fuck do you, <laughs> I don't know what I'm when you say shit what like, am I saying when you say shit like that do you, do you ever like hear yourself you're like wow what no I? I never I just sort of off the cuff and then it happens and then I'm embarrassed are you you embarrassed when you not say right corny now, really. no because I don't even think about the audience listening I just think about you and me and why would I ever be embarrassed in front of you because you say stupid shit <laughs> yeah I guess that's why that's one reason to be embarrassed <laughs> I would be pretty embarrassed if I said that I won't listen to this again yeah, so. if I said that alone I'd be embarrassed to yourself. Yeah, maybe in the car, I'll be like, "Oh, what the fuck's wrong?" I'm a goofy bitch sometimes. It's true. Jesus, it's so corny. <laughs> yeah, I know. Good. Are we talking about where you were at this time? Yes. So I want to talk about. Um, so we're we're in. I'm sorry. We're in September of '86. We are. So oh, you're seven. You uh, haven't turned seven no, yet. You're I'm six. Still six. But we're going to take once again. I'm going to kind of. Um, this is a dad heavy episode, apparently. Oh. Um, my father's been dead for 25 years because brought up in the show he, quite a bit. He's become, he's become sometimes a minor I celebrity. Like, I, see, I feel like he's in the room. I know. I know. He's, he's not yelling at me, so probably not. Um, so this... Uh, I'll take up that bit. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, so uh, this was a big time in my dad's life. What happened was... Because um, you're still in New York. We are. Yeah. My dad worked for Radio City Music Hall for, um, for many years, uh, for early 70s until around 85. And then he did a, he, he, Radio City Music is called Change, how they do shows. It used to be they would do a lot of stuff uh, with the Rockettes as far as having like, uh, the Rockettes would do like a number and then they would play a movie. It was more of a movie theater. Was it really? Yes. And then in the 80s, or 1979, uh, uh, Disney bought them, bought the music hall and completely changed. So like, this isn't profitable. Like, it's just a giant movie theater that's half empty at the time. So what they wanted to do was make it more of a concert hall, which is what it is today. And, um, so they started bringing in a lot of bands and my dad's entire work life changed instead of it being uh, knowing he had to do six movies a night. Um, and you know, be, you know, pull the, he was, my dad was a stagehand, So he would like pull the curtains and do that kind of thing. And, and, you know, if they had any sets, he would be the guy to kind of pull them up and bring them down. And if they ever had to change sets, he'd be one of the ones that kind of load in and load out. Yeah. But because the nature of the beast, there weren't that many load ins and loadouts. But now if you have a different concert every week, you have constant oh. load ins. So the, the good news is my dad's making a show with more money because he's working like insane overtime. The bad news is the guy's literally burning out. Like, oh, and yeah. he's a younger guy. He's yeah. in his late 20s, early 30s, but he's just like, this is fucking crazy. Yeah. My dad, um, you know, this happened in 79 and now by 1945, my dad's like in his like early 30s. He's like, I can't do this anymore. Working like 90 hours a week. This is crazy. Yeah. Because, you, know, you know, you have Grateful Dead come in and they're out and you have like, you know, Starship, uh, whatever, fucking... Jefferson Starship, yeah, Jefferson Starship right? It was those kind of bands who had huge sets, who had huge, you know, speakers, and they could fit in the music hall. Something that big, like something like the Grateful Dead would would play there. Oh yeah, that's you crazy. Could, they would get like legit bands. You know, this is kind of before arena rock. Yeah, um, but they would get huge artists to come in there, and it was. But my dad was just like, he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. So my dad reached out to his union reps, and like, all right, well, do you want to do something more like Broadway? And I was like, sure. That seems like a more steady thing. And we talked before about how. 
My dad worked one show and opened and closed it one that's night. Right, with that's right. Little black and the kid boy. was like, I'm so sorry. Right. It was, was, <laughs> right, it was a very sad story. So uh, my dad also did a show called Starlight Express. My dad was, oh, yeah. my dad was very, those are roller skates. Yes. My dad was a really talented uh, stage analyst. My dad, my dad was very good at that uh, part of his job. And Starlight Express was at the time the most advanced show they ever did. So they oh yeah. There was all sorts of lights and shit Andrew and, Lord and Weber. people on fucking it was a futuristic yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. skating uh, musical, which sounds ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But the set was uh, at that time, the greatest set. So they built kind of a dream team together of uh, stagehands. So that was a real easy way for my dad. Also. Did they high five after every show as a dream team? Yes. Yep. Um, is that what you would do? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, luckily they didn't. These guys, these guys would, these guys would Can make we fun high five after the show. No, damn these it. Guys, these guys would make fun of you. So <laughs> why hard. don't you love me? These, these guys are some rough guys, but, uh, all very kind, but, yeah. but, but they would not put up with that nonsense. <laughs> and, um, uh, but this was like a, uh, so it was a really easy way for my dad to get out of doing the music hall was because listen, we're pulling the stream team together of sure. guys. Um, and the music hall was like, all right, you know, my dad's name was Art. Already wants out. Let's just, well, let him do that. So my dad does that. But unfortunately, Charlie Express is also kind of a disaster. It opened and closed in like six months, maybe even less than that. Did not do very well. I didn't know that. I know it was shitty, but I just, I it was shitty. It got it. really bad reviews. It kind of count, you know, but because the set was so good, my dad was still in demand. Yeah. And uh, there was a brand new theater and hotel opening up in New York. It was called the Marriott Marquis. It still exists. Mm -hmm. It's right in Times Square. And the very first show that they were going to have in there was a show called Me and My Girl which was a show that uh, was to take place in uh, England. Mm. And it was about this like poor guy. Uh, it's like from a Cockney or whatever, a different part of England, whatever. And then he meets this woman who's like a bit more refined. It's uptown girl. Very much so. Yeah. And, um, and there it was a, it was a musical back in the thirties and they kind of revised it for this. Yeah. But, they, but the big deal was, it was in this brand new theater, this beautiful theater. And they wanted to have once again, kind of like a dream team type, yeah, a killer set and an awesome group to run it. And it had some amazing effects yeah. in it. They had like a, a wall where people's faces would appear. And this was every night, um, but they had to kind of build the set. So my dad was there right from the, my dad was there when they were building like this. It was pretty cool. My dad got to be there like from, to see a whole theater get built. Yeah. At that time, it was the most advanced theater in, in Broadway. It had hydraulic sets. Oh yeah. Which was new at the time. Those things. Um, so that opened on August, uh, August 10th of 1986. So, um, and that's what my dad did until we moved. My, we moved in June of 89. Uh, this didn't close until December of 89. Mm. It was a huge hit. It won Tony's for best actress, uh, for Mary Ann Plunkett, who, who was in, um, what's the Kevin Spacey uh, show? Uh, uh, on, uh, Netflix. Yeah. Whatever. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, oh my God. What's the name of that show? It's a huge hit. I know. House of Cards. Thank you. Yeah. She had a small role in that. She, she's at working. She's done a lot of stuff. Um, Robert Lindsay uh, was the other lead. Uh, it got nominated for 13 Tonys. It won for Best Actor, Robert Jesus. Lindsay, Best Actress, and Best Choreographer. Uh, it was a huge hit. It ran, I said, it ran longer than we stayed in Europe, which is insane. So my dad really lucked out. But my experience with it was, was great. I got to go with my dad to work all the time. I'd say I went there. So it would happen at night, though, too, right? So you would, you, because the shows were probably 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night. Yeah. Right? So I you mean, would, yeah. that's when you would go. Well, how it works is this? So yeah. I would usually go when they had, when they doubled up. So, um, on Wednesday, how Broadway typically works is you have one day where you're dark. Yeah. That means you're off. That was, I believe Mondays, could have been Tuesdays. I forget which one. I'm sorry. Wednesdays typically in Broadway is, is you do double, you do a, hmm. a matinee and you do an evening show and then Saturdays you do a matinee and evening. So, so okay. typically in Broadway, you do eight shows a week. That's kind of the standard. Yeah. Um, some shows do more like, you know, maybe something like wicked or something that sells out constantly, but the standard in Broadway, especially in that time was eight shows a week. So I would go a lot of times when they would do doubles. So if it was a Saturday, I'd go with my dad. 
uh, he'd work the matinee. I would just read in the back um, while the guys were working. Sometimes I would just kind of like stand in the, in the sidelines and watch, but, but no, I, I definitely had seen the show. Yeah, a million times. So, so I would just kind of sit in the back and I'd read my baseball encyclopedia or whatever book I was reading. And then uh, there was a break between shows. And that's when me and my dad would go to the movies. I saw Die Hard on one of those breaks. I got to, or whatever, we just go to the movies, or we go, this is back when Times Square was kind of shitty. Yeah. <laughs> so you like, you know, it's kind of wild. You had like whores and you had, you know, uh, <laughs> you had like, uh, you know, uh, uh, people like uh, playing um, three card Monty or you had crazy bums or you had, it was just, it was madness. It was wild. Yeah. And there was an arcade there. So we go and play our, I go play in the arcade for a while and it was just kind of a wild how long were the breaks? Were they like three, four hours? Yeah, yeah. about that. Right. That's um, awesome. And then we go get lunch or yeah. dinner or whatever. And then, um, and then he'd work the evening show and then we head home. My dad typically would take the train in every day, but when I went in, we drove because it was, it was cheaper to park than it was for two train tickets. I see. So we would typically drive in, which my dad would get kind of excited about too because it was probably fun for having me go in and there's also, yeah. he liked driving and more than taking the train. Yeah. So, um, but we, yeah, so I would say I went uh, 25 times a year. Wow. Yeah, That's I go a lot. A lot. I didn't get to see my dad a ton. My dad was working every weekend. Um, and, you know, I see him on Mondays when I'm going to school. And Mondays yeah. he was exhausted and working so hard. So, you know, I'd see him when I got home. And my dad was always cool by spending time with me, but I just didn't have a lot of time to spend with him. Sure. So um, it's a big reason we moved to New Hampshire. Um, and so, um, but I got to go in and work with him a lot. And those guys, oh my God, people couldn't have been nicer. Like, oh, I'm sure. Oh my God, the cast I, was incredible. I got to talk to the cast. Like, what a cool experience for me being six, seven, eight, nine to hang out on a successful Broadway show right. was kind of cool. And everyone was great. I remember talking to the actors and they're like, Chris, this is a dream job. You don't understand. Like, uh, before I got me and my girl, I was working All commercials or no, yeah. they would typically be in New York and you oh. would, I'll tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's jumping. Matt knows. Uh, this is another edition of Matt's plays. He explains the life of a Broadway actor. He knows nothing about, um, <laughs> No, but this person would be like in New York and, you know, going from commercial to commercial Yeah. or, you know, maybe you do a Broadway show, but it ends up like that one and out show we talked about. And you're like, man, you're just hoping for that break. And then the guy, one guy I talked to said, I did a Broadway show for a month and that one month salary, I was able to stretch out for like six months because I was going all the distance and not getting it. It's like by the end of those six months, I'm eating, you know, ramen soup and you're like, oh, but to get this, you get a paycheck and some guy saved with the show the entire run. Yeah. So we're talking like 1100 performances. So for three or four years, you're getting a Broadway check for an actor that's pretty good money for three or four years you can kind of retire on that if really? you wanted to yeah or you could basically make it so you didn't really need to work for a long time if you, you get paid that much on broadway if you the nice thing is usually when you get the jobs you're always waiting for it to close so you, unless you change your life drastically so unless they went and got that penthouse apartment but if you just kept and a lot of these people were very smart mm. they knew because they had been poor a lot and me and my girl had an older cast it wasn't a cast of all 20 sure. somethings so those people were... They knew Feast or Famine, basically. Yeah, yeah they I knew. They, I yeah. Mean, when I say older, I mean, people in their 50s and stuff, a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And um, or maybe, I mean, I was, maybe they were probably like 30. I was eight years old. <laughs> right. No, they were older. I know they were. And, uh, but they, but they were, I think they were, had like lived in the same apartment because, you know, it's rent controlled too. A lot of these Manhattan apartments were. Sure. So they, I know some people had re- retired after the show and, that, and they were done. And, um, but it ran for, and it, you know, when we left, it was, by, by the time we left, the, the leads had changed three or four times. People weren't coming as much. We left in June of eighty nine. It closed December of eighty nine. Yeah. Um. But uh, it was it was when we left. The people were so nice. They gave me and my dad both fishing poles. And um, I'm not a big fisher guy, but they knew we were going to New Hampshire. Yeah, my dad likes fishing. He used a fishing pole till he died. And um, but they like they were, like, this really nice car. Like made out to me too, though. Like you know, like they made uh, it. They made it seem part like of the I was part of that group. Yeah. And it was like it was really kind and like. Uh, the stagehands couldn't have been nicer to me. They would, they would let me play poker with them. I mean, who wants this fucking eight year old kid around? 
I tried not to be annoying, but I'm sure at times I was. And, um, but they couldn't have been more inclusive. And that Broadway family, like, you know, they all really cared about each other because you're doing the same things every day. Yep. And you're doing it. You're so close together. You have to get along. You all have to work together. And that was just, I remember thinking like this, even though I was younger, I'm like, this is really good teamwork. This is, prof- these are professionals. Yep. It taught me a lot how to be professional. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, when I do anything, whether it be work or whether it be, you know, if you just do improv, whatever, obviously not on a Broadway scale and in close, but you're like, you have a standard right. that you know, I'm going to try to be a professional. Just sure. like I think back to how they behaved and how they acted and how they treated people. And uh, yeah, it was just what it, it was. One of the great experiences of my childhood was getting to be a part, a very small part of me and my girl, but getting to see it start fresh when everyone's excited and see the success and see the Tonys they get oh, yeah. and become kind of like minor stars or major stars in New York, you know, at that time, the ladies, they're, they're winning Tony awards. Yeah. And then to see, you know, cash change and, and you get to see a hydraulic set. I got to go down in the basement and I got to work the hydraulics <laughs> with the guy. I just didn't do all that stuff. It's just, <laughs> you know, I got to play in the background of the set. You know, so did that whole thing with that, the faces. I got yeah, to go, yeah. you know, the, the guys let me go play with that stuff and I got to pull the rope and I mean it was just it was cool it was a really wild well they must have got experience. a kicked out, kick out of it too because you, you must have been excited I'm for sure it. something because they do the same thing every day <laughs> yes. so I'm sure it's something different right. Jesus Christ you know um, and uh, but man so some of the big stars had their own dressing room some people had to share a dressing room but all the dressing rooms were pretty small but even then they're like because it's a new theater like we're still lucky to have this but in our last show we were in like a broom closet <laughs> right. but it was really cool to be in a brand new place it could smell new yeah, it was yeah, fresh yeah. But I remember like when we left, like one of the last times I went say maybe eighty nine, whatever, I'm like, oh, it doesn't quite feel as new anymore. The right. chairs have come even yeah, more sure. tattered, and you're like, you can kind of see the age. But Mary Marquis still exists; uh, it's still open. You can still stay there. It has an elevator that uh, it's a glass elevator, and you can see all. Of, you can ride to the top and see, and they have a uh, place you can eat up top. I believe it has a rotating. Does it? I believe so. I think I ate there when I was in. Uh, I went, so I put a quick end of the story. I went back to Marriott Marquis, not to see a show, but I went and had, I went in that glass elevator and I went and we went and had dinner there. Yeah. But I was incredibly drunk that night. It was like a birthday night. Like I was trashed. Did not end up fighting with my, it was a disaster. Um, but I went back there. I was like, oh. I don't know if I got kind of drunk too because it brought back a lot of, like I might, I, Could I, have been. I'm not going to put the blame on her on that one. I, I maybe I might have overdid it because might've been a lot of emotions going on with that because it brought back, even being in New York during that time from 12 to 16 when I was there, at times, like I was like overcome with emotion. Sure. Because it's like, oh, I brought, you know, the smell of a hot dog cart or, yeah. or just a certain thing hits you the right way. And you're like, you were, I was a little kid again. And it's like, oh fuck, this is, and I'm with my dad. Cause anytime I was in the city, I was with my dad. So all, you know, to be there, especially that first year was very overwhelming. I remember, yeah, I think I, I, I got fucking trashed that night. I don't get drunk, drunk that often in my thirties. And I was fucking like blackout. Yeah. Not good. But yes, but Mary Marie, other than that, <laughs> <Good end. laughs> people, people there couldn't be kind. If you ever see Marianne Plunkett in a show, she was also in a season of Night Court. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't her. It was an, another woman. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll, I'll post a picture on Twitter. I forget her name. Ellen, Eileen uh, 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 Fuller. You know the Migo song, A Paradise by Dashboard Lights? Yep. The woman vocalist. That's her. She was the lead after Marianne Plunkett left, and she did a season uh. of Night Court, and she was very nice to me. Very fair. You ever hear that song? She's a very nice lady. So it's like cool to see someone I was on, watching on TV and then see her in real life. She couldn't have been kinder. I mean, these people were just just awesome. Great experience. Awesome. Shall we move to headlines? Yes. Okay. Uh, Saskatchewan and Hamilton play the first CFL regular season overtime game. That's a fucking offer. Yeah. Well, mm, you better have better stuff for Kirk. LA Law. First episode How this about week. That, huh? Four notes. I got it. It's pretty good. 
That's a good theme song, actually. It's a great theme song. It's really nice. Mike Post, right? Uh, I think it is, yeah. That's a Bochco production. Yeah, it's probably uh, Mike Post. First, they work together. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I don't, uh, know, but I don't like it. Chose Stinks. I don't remember. It doesn't I mean, hold up well at all. I'm sure it does. I know I probably saw it as a kid. Yeah, but, it doesn't uh, work. Anyway. That's, that's probably like the first Jimmy Smiths, I think, before, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, of course. Much better I, than NYPD. But. Yeah, and that's, of course, how I know him. But uh, LA Law is a, it's a show of its time. It doesn't, doesn't work today. Yeah. The other thing is... Um, right. That's right. We'll be perfect, sir. By the book. <laughs> fucking fart sounds. Yeah. I like this already. I know. I'm kidding. This is already annoying me. What is this? That's Captain EO also premieres this uh, oh, this week. Michael Jackson? Oh, it's so bad. I, they, I'm going to post that there's a 20. I think it's I think it's 20 minutes long. No one's going to watch that. You should watch it because it is constant fart sounds. Really? That's all they use for like for like like the spaceship. And then what? like this elephant guy. Who directed that? Was it Lucas or? Jesus Christ. No, yeah, it, my, it, was, it wasn't Spielberg, was it? Let's hope so. it was not Spielberg. I watched a few minutes of it today. I saw it at Epcot, you know, Did when, you I, when I was there. Yeah, I saw it at Epcot because it was 3D. Um, I was pretty young. I was probably nine. I think I saw they were it. building it. I'm oh, sorry. It was Francis Ford Coppola. It was written, written by George Lucas oh. and directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, it is so bad. Michael is so bad. He is so bad. It you got to watch it. it I'm going to tweet it out. September 12, 1986. Yep. So, so you, I went to Disney in 86 as well. Actually, uh, 2000. I thought it said... It wasn't the 12th. It said it opened on like the 15th or something. Oh, who cares? It doesn't matter, it's, 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 but it's, whatever. Yeah. Who cares? Uh, it's just, you know. Imagine, imagine, imagine caring about that. Um, <laughs> September 12th. But I went to Disney, I think in August of 86. And uh, my mom was pregnant with my sister. And yeah. um, we went like one last trip as a family. But they were building it. I remember being really bummed out. I couldn't go watch. Because Michael Jackson was a big deal at the time. Yeah. But you went. So did you uh, so go I, Disney? I, in- I would have seen it in 87, I think. You went the following year. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Did you like it when you saw it? I think it was all, I don't think I was quite moved by it. I thought it was interesting because of the 3D factor. And I think the theater we were in was interesting too. I, now it's so all when, sort of, it's blending together a little bit because Epcot, some of them you're in this big, like you're standing up and it's just this giant like projection screen onto a round, sort of IMAX feel. Yeah. Okay. Some of it's that. Um, so but my memories are sort of mixed up about what theater that was, but I, I liked Epcot in general. So it's time. a 3d movie with Michael Jackson. Yes. Does he reach out and touch your genitals? Well, he tried, but I, I, I laid out of the way. Oh, really? Oh, good <laughs> yeah, for you. Just, I'm not letting that happen. You're a pretty savvy kid, huh? I'm a savvy kid. You, you oh, I know. <laughs> Shimmied. Uh, it's, but it's bad. It does not. I mean, he, imagine him as an actor. He's a shit actor. So it closed in. I think it lasted oh, so, for a while, so like 10 eight, years. It went from 86 years. to 94. Yeah. And okay, they, I thought it was longer than that. It. And then but they reopened in 2010 and then closed again oh, in 2015. It's not good. What are you thinking reopening that? You, you'd never, because is he dead by that? I can't yeah, remember when he died. Then. He's dead he by did, then? Yeah. And all this shit came up after, like, they, when they were digging through before. his house. Like, no, I know, but they were digging. Th- even then, though, they, there was this idea of, oh, maybe he didn't touch kids, but then they were digging through his house, and it was oh, yeah. like, oh, it's confirmed. This what guy's, are you thinking? Reopening that? I would never Regardless, like, like what, what's, why? And it's bad. It's not even, like, good. The Michael Jackson hero worship after he died, people really should, if you, that if you always happens. people that were, like, like the RGB him, hero worship. Well, that no, actually happened before. No, it's not the same thing at no, all. It's no, it's not. No, it's not. No, one woman is a Supreme Court justice. Nah. Did, did things you may or may not agree with ever. This is a, a child predator. Yeah, you're right. Who no, we're, you're right. We're, we're idolizing. Yeah. And, you know, if you're one of those people, if you're listening to the show, you're one of those people who's defending Michael Jackson, like, really take a look at what you're doing. You should take a look at it. You know, you should take a look at the man in the you mirror. Sh- take a look at what? The man in the mirror. Not you. I'm oh! saying if you did that, you're one of those people. You should. Michael Jackson, bad guy. Two thumbs down. Do not like. I know we talk about him on Say, Say, Say. Very talented guy. 
bad human being. It's really hard two because I, I love his music and it, it really, it's hard for me. I don't to... break that out often. I don't usually do the two thumbs down on people very often, but two thumbs down, Michael Jackson. I attest to that. It's very, it's very rare that the two thumbs down happens. Um, Captain EO, huh? It's not good. You, I'm going to tweet it out. Ugh. You should like, just watch a few minutes of, of like the opening scene with him coming in. And it's, it's like, he's a terrible actor. He's so, and there's a lot of that. I, like that. I thought you would appreciate it. That's why I, I enjoy it. a good fart. Um, I guess anything else. So, so I'm back. on KMS. So, uh, Matt is going to be very excited. So when we come back, it's Matt's birthday week, which means, oh, right. so how it works in the show is if it's your birthday week, you get to pick the week. So Matt picked uh, a week that we're going to be 1997. Doing. I don't yeah. even remember the movies. The movies are where, so Saturday's movie is going to, I'm sorry, Wednesday's movie is going to be the fifth element. Oh, that's great. Yes. And it'll be subterranean homesick alien. And then Saturday, we're back with Austin Powers, the first Austin Powers movie. That's right. Which is so some pretty stacked. I think we've got some stacked movies coming up. Totally. I don't remember what the song is for that one, but I'll figure that out too. Right. I don't remember what it is either. But So we're doing uh, Radiohead and uh, The Fifth Element when we come back on Wednesday. We'll see you then.